Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible, a pad of paper, and a pen. Let's dive in. Well, one of our things that we love to do at Radiant Life is we love developing people. Uh, we love that passion that kind of feeds in. That's actually, well, I can't say all of us love developing people. I love developing people. I think it's one of my callings in life is to do that. And it's really exciting to see uh, the development of our staff and what the Lord is doing within our staff. And uh, this morning, one of our staff members is on track to become a licensed pastor within our denomination. You've heard them speak before. Many times, many, many, many times, but today they get to bring their very first message to you in the development of their licensing to become a licensed pastor in the Wesleyan Church. Can you guys, you already know this face because she makes the office run, okay? Can you welcome Pam to the stage, please? I forgot to pray for you again. Oh. Thank you. Unless you don't want prayer. No, I'll take it. Okay, all right. Um, hey, will you do this uh, together if you're comfortable? Would you just reach out your hand like you're laying hands upon Pam? We're just going to pray for her and the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I lift up my sister to you. God, would you just anoint her words, not with her own voice, but may it be your voice, God. Let her know that uh, you've called her and let her rest in her calling, God. Even though sometimes we feel inadequate, you are the one that equips us for the ministry. And so help us to rest in that. Bless Pam. Bless our hearts to receive your word. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. As Pastor Ryan said, I'm Pam Carey, currently on staff here. And I am in my last class, Intro to Preaching, um, that I need for my um, pastoral license. But I am currently on staff as ministry coordinator here. And it's so awesome to see you guys here this morning and those that are joining us online. It's great to have you, all of our church family that's spring breaking where it's warm. Uh, we might get a little bit of that warmth here soon, but I think it's supposed to come with some rain. But we'll, we'll take it. So for the past two to three months, we've been in our current teaching series, More, and this is where we're looking at the practices that Jesus modeled for us while he was here on earth, Uh, practices that allow us to grow closer in our relationship with him and allow us to remove things, remove barriers from our life that are keeping us from growing in our relationship with him and allowing him to use us in the way that he wants to. So we've looked at several of these practices already. We've looked at worship and prayer in the secret place. And everybody's favorite, silence and solitude. That was a great one. Only to be topped by confession and repentance. And that actually was really cool because last week, uh, Chris Conrad, our um, regional, our, actually our denomination, our regional superintendent came and he was a guest speaker here. And it wasn't planned for him to talk on confession and repentance. And you know, he delivered his first message very quick. And then he went into his second unplanned message where he talked about confession and repentance. And it was a really powerful service. Holy Spirit used him in a really mighty way. And a lot of people received healing through that service, through confession, repentance, uh, giving things over to God and just allowing Holy Spirit to work in their lives. Today, we're going to talk about community. This is a, a practice that Jesus modeled for us really well. This was modeled really well for us in the early church. They knew how to do community. And we're not just gonna talk about community, we're gonna talk about biblical 
community. You see, all of these practices, worship, prayer, silence, solitude, confession, and repentance, they can bring things to the surface that we might have not been aware of, maybe hurts, maybe sin, places that we've fallen short. And if we're not careful, the enemy will take that awareness and he'll insert shame and condemnation in place of freedom and growth and healing that our Heavenly Father has for us. A lot of the time when we're made aware of something in our lives, we tend to hide, we tend to pull away and disengage from people. And Chris Conrad brought this verse last week, again, unplanned. There are no coincidences. He set me up really well. In Genesis 3.8, we see, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they, what did they do, guys? They hid. They tried to hide from God. Like, how well does that really work? We try to hide from God, but uh, I, you know, spoiler, he's going to find us. He sees us. We can't hide from him. So, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You know, we do this. We pull away from people. We disengage. We go into isolation. And again, we let the enemy use that shame and he keeps feeding it. And instead of receiving the healing and the freedom and the growth that God has for us, we disengage and we, all, we live in shame and condemnation. And that is not what our Heavenly Father has for us. So I can relate to this. Um, you know, a few years ago, uh, there were things going on in my life and in the lives of my family uh, members, some of my family members. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they weren't huge. Um, but I allowed the enemy to take pieces of what was happening and start inserting lies and shame and condemnation into my life. And as he did that, and as I started listening to those, I started pulling away and disengaging from God and from my community. And I just started spiraling, and those thoughts got bigger and bigger, and I kept spiraling further and further into what felt like this pit of despair. And, you know, I, I worked at a church. I'm surrounded by lots of people who love the Lord, and... I was still convinced that it wasn't going to get better, that I was too far beyond God's reach, and I just really felt hopeless. And that's a terrible feeling to have if you've ever felt that way. Um, I just really started to have anxiety attacks and panic, and I was consumed by the lies that the enemy was feeding. And my community around me, you know, they would ask, you know, how can we help? How can I pray for you? And I would tell them most everything that I wanted them to know, um, just enough so they felt like I was telling them and just enough so it felt like I was sharing and doing what I needed to do to get, help things get better. But I held on to that little 2%, that piece that the enemy was really using to keep power over my life and to keep me from, from growing in, in my relationship with God and from allowing God to use me the way that he wanted to. You know, and... I believed that I could handle it on my own, that I didn't need anybody to help me. Um, I'm independent. I can do it on my own. I can do this. And I think a lot of us, we feel that way. And some of you, you know, you haven't experienced where I've been. Maybe to some degree you have. And, but I, I think most of you have experienced loneliness, isolation, maybe some shame and condemnation. Those aren't from God, but I feel like we've experienced those in this broken world. You know, currently we live in a world that celebrates independence. 
I can do it myself. I don't need anybody. I'm strong. I'm not weak. I don't need anybody to help me. But we celebrate that independence at the expense of our emotional well-being, our physical well-being, and our spiritual well-being. We celebrate independence over community and connection. We live in a world more isolated than ever before, and the technology that we have allows us to think that engaging with people online, that's our community and that's our connection. And this overemphasis on independence, sorry guys, it leads to isolation, shame, mental health crises, and a falling away from God. This extreme focus on being independent and taking care of ourselves, it pushes us away from the design that God called us to live in, which is community. And it also gives us a false sense that we have control over things, right? We think that if I try harder, insert myself here, you know, um, just do more, do more, and worry more, then I'm going to control how it turns out. And all that leads to is more anxiety, We think that trying to take control of things, you're like, hey, God, I'm going to take that back. I think I'm better at it than you. Uh, (laughs) We think that that's going to give us some sense of peace, but really it's just a false sense of control. And this, this emphasis on independence, it's pushing us away from our dependence on God. We don't have anything in this life. We aren't here on this earth Without God, we are fully dependent on God, and we need to acknowledge that. And we need to thank Him for all that we have. So, there's been some research published recently, and uh, one of those is this study from Harvard University. And they looked at, they looked over this 85 year period, and they were looking at people and the jobs that they held and whether they were happy or not happy in those. And uh, what they found was that people who had jobs, that created little opportunity for meaningful human connection, that they were the most miserable. And I know sometimes we think, boy, if I just didn't have to deal with people, I would love my job. (laughs) And some days that might be true. But overall, (laughs) we need people and we need connection with each other. Personal friends, deep personal friends, are at an all-time low in America right now. Over 50% of Americans would say that they don't have anybody that knows them really well. And we need that. We've gone so far to the extreme of independence, not asking our neighbors for things, not asking our family and friends to help us with anything, that it's now starting to create the anxiety and the isolation in our lives. And it's going the opposite direction of where it should be going. You know, we can't do life alone and we shouldn't do life alone. That's not God's design for us. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. It's always nice to have somebody there when we fall to encourage us, to lift us, to help us but we've allowed independence to creep into that. God doesn't want us to be easy prey for the enemy. And when we're by ourselves, we're just like the animals in the wild. When they're together in the herd, 
The predator tends to leave them alone a little more. But the predator is still sitting there waiting, waiting for the, for the animal to leave its herd. The enemy, Satan, is sitting there waiting for us to leave our community, to leave our pack. We need brothers and sisters in Christ because we're stronger in numbers. We can shed light on things. We can encourage each other. We can speak truth into each other. First Peter 5.8, it tells us to be vigilant because the devil is prowling around like a lion, seeking who he may devour. Again, God doesn't want us to be easy prey for the enemy. We were created to exist in biblical community. We're communal beings. We need each other. And I would say not living in biblical community is living against God's design for our life. God demonstrated this for us from the very beginning. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were together from the very beginning. In Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the water depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. We see the Father and Holy Spirit here from the beginning. And then John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus. And the Word was with God, the Father, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So from the very beginning, we see that God existed in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've maybe seen this image before. If you've been attending here for a little while, Pastor Ryan has used this. And this is a beautiful picture of the Trinity, of God, how he exists in community. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the three persons of the Trinity. They're all God. But the Father is not Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. They all have different roles in this relationship. They all have different gifts to give like we do in the church. We all have different gifts to give for God's kingdom. But the Trinity exists in perfect harmony and perfect unity, working together to accomplish a mission. So what does this mean for us that God existed in community from the beginning? In Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. He didn't say in my image according to my likeness. He said our image in our likeness. So we were created in God's image. We are God's image bearers. We're to reflect God's image to those around us. The characteristics of God. We're to honor and glorify him by the way that we live. And if God existed in community, if God is community, and he created us in his image, then we're also to live in community with one another. We need it. We need community. So God created us in his image, and he said that it was very good. But then he said, it is not good For man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. So God had created all the wild animals and the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to name. And it says, the man gave names to every wild animal, but for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. So God brought all the animals to the man to name, but no suitable helper was found. 
There is no replacement for human connection. Can animals bring us comfort and support, and are they a blessing from God? Yes, I get that. But we also need human connection. Animals, things, technology. Those are no replacements for human connection. In this passage, helper, the word helper in Hebrew is ezer konegdo. And that means this face-to-face human connection. It's not somebody that's behind somebody else. It's not somebody that's inferior to someone. It's complementary to. It's, it's a helper. We engage in face-to-face connection. So turn to your neighbor and say, Ezer Konegdo. Wait, wait, wait. Try it again. Ezer Konegdo. There you go. So you guys... Just engaged in Ezer Konegdo. It's that face-to-face connection. So if we were made in the image of God, he existed in community from the beginning. And as we dig a little bit further into his word here in a minute, I would say that engaging in biblical community is a command. We're communal beings. Again, we exist because God created us in his image. In the Bible, there's over, the phrase one another is used over a hundred times. And approximately 59 of those one another commands, they tell us how to relate to one another and how not to relate to one another. We can't obey God's commands to one another without one another. Coming here to church and sitting in, in the rows, we absolutely need this on Sunday morning. We need to hear God's truth. We need to worship in community. Um, But it doesn't end there. We can't build community sitting shoulder to shoulder. We have to be face to face, around a table, engaging with one another. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. We have to encourage each other. We have to gather together. We have to provoke each other to love and good works. And we can't do that without each other. So let's look at some of the other one another's. And I'm not going to read all these verses. You guys can look them up later if you want to. Um, Love one another. This isn't just a feeling of love towards each other because we don't always feel love towards our neighbors, right? This is the action. We're going to obey God in our actions, our loving actions towards one another. The world will see Jesus' love by the way that we treat each other and love each other. We're to carry one another's burdens, the burdens in our life that get just, they're too hard, they're too heavy for us to carry on our own. We need each other to help carry those burdens and to continue to persevere and push through because life gets tough. We need to encourage one another. We need to speak life into each other. The ICNU conversations, um, encouraging each other to continue on and achieving God's purpose for us here, which is to make disciples who make disciples and to allow God to use us for his glory. And we need to teach and admonish each other. Admonishing is not a fun word. But you know what? If we're not helping each other when we get off track, we're not loving each other. If we see somebody going off track, 
We need to lovingly point that out so that they can get back on track and continue to follow God and grow closer with him. And we need to teach each other what God's word says. We need to care for one another. We need to help each other out. And we need to confess our sins to one another. That's biblical. That holds us accountable. We need accountability in our lives, don't we? Yeah, we absolutely do. And it's hard, but there's so many benefits with it. And lastly, we need to pray for one another. We can't stop engaging in spiritual battle for one another. We are in a spiritual battle and we need to fight this together. We can't do life alone. We're not made to do life alone. We're commanded to do life together. And there's things that we can't experience in this life without community. Biblical community helps us experience life more fully as God intended. There's blessings that can be had in the midst of community and growth that can be had that Jesus wants us to experience. And when things get tough, biblical community helps pull us out of the depths of isolation, lies, and sin, and into the beautiful design God intended for us to exist in, a community that speaks truth and encouragement into our lives and continually points us back to Jesus. It's one way that we fight against the tendency to allow um, sin in our lives to lead us into shame and condemnation and isolation. We need each other to encourage each other on and do life together. And some of you sitting here are saying, I tried community and I don't like it. I got hurt. People were annoying. You know, whatever it is, right? Some of us have tried community and we gave up. It's just easier just to be by myself. And I get that. There's hurt and there's pain. Some of us have believed the lies of the enemy that we're not worthy of community. Those are lies. But I encourage you to continue to press in because although community can be messy, it's in the mess where true growth and connection happens. We show up, we engage, we stay committed, we work at it, we be vulnerable with each other, we confess, we care for each other, and we build community that we can count on and that's glorifying and honoring to Jesus. So how do we build community? Let's look back into the Bible, because again, they modeled this for us so well. We need to invite people into our community. Some of us think that we can sit at our house, and community is going to find us. We need to be willing to go where we live, work, and play, and invite people. We need to be vulnerable, And we need to invite people into our community. And when we get that invitation, we need to accept that invitation and not allow the enemy to say, well, they really just, they don't really want you to come. They just feel bad for you, right? Don't believe that. When somebody extends the invitation to come into community, we need to accept that invitation. And we need to be looking for ways that we can invite people into our community. Jesus modeled this for us. Matthew 4 Simon and Andrew are fishing, and Jesus says, come follow me. And then he reminds the disciples later, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Jesus, the son of God, invited people into his community. We need to invite people into our community. We need to take action. We need to look for ways that we can do that. Some of you are going out to lunch after this. Look at the people around you. Who can you invite to go to lunch with you today? 
to start engaging in community. We need to intercede. We need to be praying for each other, fasting for each other, lifting each other up in prayer. You know, Esther, Queen Esther, um, she was getting ready to go into the king's court, his inner court, to plead on behalf of her people, the Jews, who were facing slaughter. And if you went into the, the king's inner court during that time and you weren't invited, even the queen, you faced death unless the king extended his gold scepter to you. Then you were saved from that penalty. So prior to going into the king's inner court, Esther had her cousin and her community fast for three days. She knew she was going into a spiritual battle and she needed people to fight that battle on her behalf with her. We need to be asking people how we can pray for them. We need to be lifting each other up in prayer and we need to be vulnerable and ask people when we need prayer as well. We need to intrude. This is typically a negative word that people don't, like it's got a negative connotation to it. But I want to challenge that here because we can intrude with grace and love. In Exodus 17, we see Moses and Joshua and the Israelites. So Joshua and the Israelites are getting ready to go into battle with the Amalekites. And Moses is standing on the hilltop with staff in his hand. And as long as his arms are raised, the Israelites are winning. But you can only hold your arms up for so long before they get tired and they start to fall. And as they would fall, the Israelites would start to lose. And he'd raise them up again and they'd be winning and then they'd start to fall. Aaron and Hur, who were with him, they could see that he was struggling. So they got a stone, they got a rock. Moses didn't ask them. They got a rock, at least it doesn't say. And they put it underneath Moses so that he could sit and he could lower himself to a position where Aaron and her could hold his arms up. We need to see where people can't help themselves, and we need to intrude lovingly and help them when they can't help themselves. And it's easy sometimes to get annoyed with people and be like, why don't you just help yourself? Just do something. But I can tell you that when I was in that really that dark place, I didn't know how to help myself. And I so much appreciate the people that intruded and interceded and all of the things in my life because I needed it and I couldn't do it on my own. We also need to be intentional. In John 15, we see that Jesus called the disciples his friends because he, he made everything known to them. He took time. Jesus bothered with relationships. He saw that they were important. He took time to spend with the disciples, sharing his life with them and allowing them to share their life with him. He ate with them. He washed their feet. He committed to them, and he spent time with them. I like this quote from John Acuff. It says, What an ineffective communicator Jesus was by our modern standards of platform building. He could have spoken to hilltops of thousands of people each night, but instead he wasted time at dinner with a handful of tax collectors and strangers. You want to change the world? Have a long, time-wasting, friendship-generating dinner with someone. We don't need to be on the hilltops. We don't need a huge platform to change the world. We have community around us that we can build connection with, that we can be Jesus to, that we can encourage one another on and change the world a little bit at a time. 
And lastly, we need to be interpersonal. We need to be vulnerable. We need to engage with each other. We need to be intentional with each other. And Jesus showed us this in John 4 when he went to the well in the middle of the day when it's scorching hot and people aren't typically at the well and he's thirsty. And the Samaritan woman who's an outcast in her society because of some choices she's made in her life, that's when she comes to the well because she's an outcast. So she comes to the well and Jesus is there and Jesus, son of God, could have gotten his own water. But instead, he asked her, he showed his vulnerability with her and he asked her, to get him some water. And then he sat with her and talked with her about her life. He got to the ugly parts, the vulnerable parts. He was interpersonal. He didn't stay surface level level with her. A lot of times we think, hey, how you doing? Good. I'm good. How are you? And that's our our, uh, community. But that's, that's not building community. We need to be vulnerable with each other and we need to dig deep and ask the hard questions with each other. You know, building community, it takes time and it takes effort, but the benefits are so worth it. And I can tell you that from my own experience. I started to, I began with my um, story, but I didn't tell you how it finished. So, you know, I was in this really dark place and people continued to um, ask me how I was doing and I just didn't want to share things with them. And, you know, my husband, he intruded in my life and he saw that I was at a place that I couldn't help myself. Didn't know how anyways. And so he called my, my doctor and he set up an appointment for me. He didn't know what else to do. And I could have been really upset about that. But he saw that's what I needed. And I knew that he was doing it because he loved me and he cared about me. I had my family and my friends that were reaching out to help. You know, there was, I, this sticks out in my mind just because it made me realize that people recognize when you reach your breaking point. And I had, during this time, I got a flat tire and I remember texting the staff saying, I got a flat tire. I, I'm going to call somebody. I'll be in a little bit. And Brandon Kinsey was like, where are you? You don't need to deal with this right now. And he came and he helped me change my tire. And that's just little things that, sh- that show that, you know, God still sees you in the midst of the darkness There's still people that love you. God still loves you. He hasn't left you. And he just continued to send me those reminders, even though I wasn't fully willing to accept all the help they were willing to give me. And I remember I reached, sort of reached a breaking point. And it was one day at the office and Pastor Karen came in. And it was the moment where I was like, I'm gonna share that 2% with her. I can't do this anymore on my own. And so I asked her, I said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? course she says sure and I told her I got you know I put on my my um, brave pants and I went in and I told her the things that had really been holding me down the things that had really been holding power over me in my life and she responded with so much love and grace and truth that I could immediately begin to feel the pressure and the weight of those things lift off of me And I started to feel like there's some hope. You know, it wasn't like this, you know, snap of the fingers and everything was better. But in that moment, from that moment on, I began to feel like I could start engaging in battle for myself. Not by myself, because I didn't, you know, you can't do it on our own. But I began to feel like I could start engaging in this spiritual battle a little bit. I began to draw closer to God again. I began to engage back in my community again. 
You know, I wouldn't be up here on this stage if it wasn't for my community. I wouldn't be living into my calling if it wasn't for my community encouraging me and having the ICNU conversations with me. Uh, about a year, a little over a year ago, I began to feel this um, whisper of ministry in my ear. And I just thought, yeah, this might just be me. I'm not going to say anything to anybody. And then uh, a few months later, we went to a conference and we had a time of discernment. We get back home and Pastor Ryan says, hey, have you ever thought about going into ministry? And I said, well, I kind of felt like it, but I didn't want to say anything. (laughs) And he had that ICNU conversation. And then I get into this last class, which is intro to preaching. I put it off, by the way. And... uh, (laughs) And he said, so when are you taking the class? And I told him, he goes, so when are you doing the message? And I said, well, I don't have to get up in front of hundreds of people. I can just say it to a video camera. So when are you doing the message? And so I picked a date. And then I tried convincing God that eh, you probably, this isn't for me. I said, you know, God, I am not worthy of this calling on my life. And he says, you may not feel worthy, but I am worthy of your obedience. Yeah. So I gave up trying to convince God that I shouldn't be up here and living into the calling that he's put on my life. And it was through the encouragement, my coworkers, my family, my friends, continually speaking life and encouraging words into me to remind me of my purpose. So I want to ask you, who is your community? And we need relationships with people who don't know and love Jesus right? We have to have those relationships in our life because we're called to share the good news, to help others come into relationship with Jesus, to know who he is. But I want to ask you, which way is your community pointing you? Are they pointing you back to Jesus on a consistent basis or are they pulling you further away? Who is your biblical community? Some of us will say, I have community. I I am with them all the time, but I want to ask you, which way are they pointing you? Boyfriends and girlfriends and friends, which way are they pointing you? We need biblical community. Because again, biblical community helps us experience life more fully as God intended. He's got lots of plans for us. And we need that community to encourage us to remind us of the giftings that God's given us and to remind us of our purpose. You know, here at Radiant Life, our mission is to live out our God-given purpose every day by being transformed by Jesus, reaching the lost and making disciples who make disciples. We need to remind each other of our purpose. We need to keep each other on the right track, encourage each other, care for one another, confess our sins to one another, pray for one another. We need to be intentional. We need to engage. We need to show up. We need to care for each other. We need to love each other. And we need to be vulnerable and take risk. And we need to see how God is going to use that to glorify Him and advance His kingdom. So I want you to ask yourself, who is my community? Which way is my community pointing me? Back to Jesus or pulling me further away? And is there something in my life that's keeping me from experiencing biblical community? Is there a past hurt? Is there sin? Am I holding on to bitterness and anger and resentment? Am I easily offended? Those are not things that God wants us to do. Those are not biblical, and we need healing from those things. 
And we need to confess those to God and give them over to him so that we can experience community. There's people where we live, work, and play that God has put in our path for such a time as this so that we can engage in community with them. And if it's his will for us and his design for us to live in community, then we need to seek him out. We need to ask him for that. We need to pray for that and ask him to bring people into our lives to show us who those people are in our lives that we can engage in community with. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out theradiantlife.church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.